to the Southland Christian Ministries podcast. During these next couple weeks, we will be posting sermons that were spoken at the camp from previous summers. Our speaker is Dr. Carl Herbster. Dr. Herbster is the father of Mike Herbster, who currently serves as the director of Southland Christian Ministries. This sermon was recorded during Southland's family camp in 2004. His message is entitled, Be a Berean Christian. show you some things that God showed me as we begin this week of family camp. Because the most important thing for any of us is to know where we're going to spend eternity. I mean, nothing else matters if you don't have the confidence of where you're going to spend eternity. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 9 and 10, it says, What then? Are we better than they? No one no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles. They are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23 is the verse we many times quote. Say it with me. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Would you raise your hand if you're a sinner? Every one of us. How many of you have children? Do you believe these psychologists that tell us children are basically good? (laughs) They don't have children. That's their problem. They don't know what's going on here. But we don't have children. No. I've even learned this about grandchildren. They're sinners. You don't have to teach them how to misbehave. You don't have to teach them how to be selfish. You don't teach them have to teach them how to be ugly and mean-spirited. It comes natural. We have to teach them how to be kind one to another and share and all those kind of things. But we're all sinners. And because of our sin, we're condemned to hell. Look what it says in uh, verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. How, how many are guilty before God? All the world are guilty before God. He says, there's none righteous. And he says, I gave the law to prove that. Galatians 2 and verse 10 says, you can keep the whole law and be guilty in one point, and guess what? You're guilty of all of it. You're guilty of all of it. I've only had one person that ever told me he wasn't a sinner. And I said, yes, you are. He said, no, I am not. I said, yes, you are. You just lied, and lying is a sin. Because the Bible says all have sinned. If you say you haven't sinned, you're a liar. And uh, liars will have their place in the lake of fire. You see, all of us are sinners. And I knew I was a sinner. That wasn't a problem. But verse 20 really took me by surprise. Because it said, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Do you see how that would grab me? As a young man, 18 years of age, how was I trying to get to heaven? By my good deeds. By doing enough good deeds. And he says, Therefore, we conclude that uh, you know nobody's by their good deeds going to be justified in his sight. But he goes on and says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. Keep your finger here. You've got to learn this, folks, how to hold your places with your fingers. If you're going to be with me all week, and if you by the end of the week you can hold four places at one time and turn with your thumb, you're in good I mean, you'll be there, all right? But hold your place and go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You've got to see this, and hopefully you've underlined this verse in your Bible sometime. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. This is why Jesus Christ can make us fit for heaven. This is why we can go to heaven even though there'll be no sin in heaven. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, For he hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin. He couldn't sin because he had to be a, a spotless lamb of God that could take his sin upon himself for us. 
But he, he became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. That we might be made righteous before the very sight of God through him. Listen, friend, you're never going to be righteous by yourself. Now, I, I want to be righteous. My goal should be to be righteous. I should have a desire to sin less and less. I want to become more like Christ. But good luck. At the time you think you got some area you're taken care of, the devil reaches in and trips you up, and boy, there you go again. You say, oh, man, wretched man that I am. Please shake your head. Some of you go, man, am I the only one that goes through that? You know, you, you just you think maybe, and it, it gets you. Well, you don't go to heaven because of your righteousness. It says it, your righteousness is as filthy rags, and so is mine. We go because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. All I can claim is the shed blood of Jesus Christ that has made me whiter than snow, yes, whiter than snow. So you see, in chapter 3 of Romans, the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace. And by the way, there's no catch with God when he says free. Amen. You see it on TV, you get it in the newspaper, check it out. But when God says it's free, guess what? It's free. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What we earn because of our sin, our wages is death, eternal death. But the gift, the free gift that we receive by faith, the gift of eternal life is through Jesus Christ our Lord, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption and is in Christ Jesus. And then go over to verse 28, because this is the verse that nailed me. Well, I believe I've turned my sight off of myself and turned my sight onto Jesus Christ and was born again. It says in verse 28, would you read it with me? Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Justified by what? Faith. Faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest an each man should boast. And as an 18-year-old young man, now, I, I saw for the first time that I couldn't work my way to heaven, that it was through believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know what words I said. I don't know what prayer I prayed. I know I was on the living room floor of my brother's house in Flint, Michigan, and I just said, I'm tired of trying to be good. You talk about a burden. You know, I, I'm, Lord, I'm, I'm just going to turn my life over to you, and I'm going to let you take charge of my life. And I told him, my commitment at that time was, I'm going to believe the Bible. I'm not going to believe what a church says. I've been duped by a church. I'm not going to believe what parents say. I'm not going to believe what pastors say. I'm going to believe what the Word of God says. I'm going to accept this book by faith. And I'm going to seek to live it by faith and let it change my life by faith. And oh, the grace of God, when I gave my life over to Jesus Christ, what a change in me. I wrote my girlfriend at that time, later to be my wife. We found those letters uh, not too long ago, and what a blessing to see what had happened in my life. She had trusted the Lord as a a young girl in the Methodist church, but they'd run the preacher out of town because he was preaching the Bible. And you can talk to her. She might want to share a little bit of that. And, and uh, so she never really grew in the Lord. But uh, when I came to know the Lord as Savior, we started growing together. And what a wonderful relationship, ladies and gentlemen, when you grow together as a couple. I like to use the pyramid you know, and say that down here is the world. Up here is God. Here's the husband and here's the wife. The closer you get to God individually, the closer you will become one to another. And oh, how, how wonderful it is for both a husband and a wife seeking to become more like Christ and to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we started to do. We got married in a Methodist church. Um, that was the church that was next door to the college campus. And, you know, we didn't know anything better. Nobody discipled us. We didn't know where to go to church. But I started finding out that 
something wrong about this church because I've come walking into church with my Bible, ready to study the Bible because I got saved reading the Bible and I want to find out what the Bible says and guess what? Nobody else had their Bibles. Of course, being there a while, I figured out why. <laughs> you know, they didn't need their Bibles. You know, I tell folks on the radio now as I have radio programs, I say, if you go to a church where uh, you don't need your Bible, you're in the wrong church. And if you go to a church without your Bible and you're uncomfortable, hallelujah, you're in the right church. That's where you ought to be. Because that church is uh, using the Word of God and preaching and teaching the Word of God. And so we did the spiritual thing. We let our fingers do the walking through the yellow pages. Found a Nazarene church not too far away. I was still uh, going to school and playing basketball and, and uh, trying to support my family. We got married during my my junior year of college. As a matter of fact, my oldest son, Matt, came to me in his junior year and said, Dad, you got married when you were junior. You believe Julie's right for me, and uh, her parents think she's right for me. Maybe I should get married when I'm a junior. And I said, son, you know, I have no problem with that. Just uh, go work out your budget and come back and see me. Well, guess what? He decided to graduate first. He thought maybe it would be a little better for him, and I think it has been better for him. It's amazing when you give your young people some assignments instead of just telling them they can't do it, how they figured out for themselves that I was... Uh, Glad that he was able to figure that out. But we were able to. I was on a full basketball scholarship, so I didn't have the, the college expenses. And, and, uh, but we started going to this Nazarene church and getting involved. And we had a Sunday school teacher there that really was teaching the Bible. We were growing and studying the Bible. As a matter of fact, the Bible that I carry is similar to one that he gave me back in, in the, when I was there in that Nazarene church in Indianapolis, uh, Indiana. And uh, here I was, a, a young man, an athlete, loved life. Love teenagers, and so guess what? They said, why don't you get involved? We'd like you to head up our teen department. I guess I was the next victim. I don't know what it was, but uh, no, I love teenagers. I always have. I think I always will and enjoyed getting in with the teenagers, but one of the teenagers came to me one time, and they said, uh, let me ask you a question. Can we lose our salvation? Now, here's another one for you. I mean, see all the questions they have? You know, can you lose your salvation? And I said, well, no, you can't lose your salvation. It's eternal. It's everlasting. It's forever settled in the heavens. Being confident of this very thing that he hath, which hath begun the good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. No man shall pluck them out of the Father's hand. No man, not even yourself. You know, boy, I, I waxed elegant. Well, then they had a board meeting <laughs> and asked me to come and said, uh, you, you don't understand something. The official doctrine of the Nazarene church is that you can lose your salvation. I said, really? Yeah. They said that. And they gave me a manual, the Nazarene manual. And they said, you need to study it. Now, folks, let me tell you something. I've got the manual. Amen. This is my manual. Now, if you believe you can lose your salvation, I'm happy to talk to you this week. And I don't think it causes you not to have it, but I feel sorry for you because you're always living in what well, biggest sin do you have to sin not to have it? You know, you talk about walking on eggshells. It's not of me. If it was me, I could lose it. It's all of God. I mean, I'd lose it every day if it was a me, because I sin every day in some way or another. And so I, I, was, I said, well, I just, I'm sorry, but I, 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 that's what I believe. It's interesting, because the pastor of this Nazarene church believed that you couldn't lose your salvation. But he said, you know, we've got to teach you know, the party way. You know. How sad. Folks, never be so loyal to a denomination. Never be so loyal to the church that you can't be loyal to the Word of God. Right. It's what the Bible says. And so here we go again, church hopping. Went across town and went to a, a Grace Brethren Church. You ever heard of the Grace Brethren Church? Um, this was a high school world, Grace Brethren Church. I now graduated, tried teaching, but I found out there was no money in it, so I went to an employment agency, and they said, you need to be in sales. I said, no way. I'm not going to be in sales. I thought of Fuller Brushman and all that kind of stuff, and 
They said, no, we want you to interview with Procter & Gamble Corporation. So I interviewed with the P&G and became a professional salesman or marketer, they sometimes would call it, for Procter & Gamble Corporation and started working with them. By now, we had three children. See, when Matthew was 19 months, Mark and Michael came along. So we had three boys under the age of two. That's why my wife does so many ladies' retreats, just to see how she survived, you know, those early years. But now we have five, we will have ten grandchildren under the age of five. Been another interesting time in our life. Um, you know, we, when we take our family on vacation, then we need a vacation. You know what those could be like. Grand grandparents here? Yeah, well, we got some. Yep, amen. You know what I'm talking about. But uh, we started attending this Grace Brethren Church, and they really taught the Word of God. And, and uh, it was the first place where I had a chance to, to preach a message. And I started thinking, maybe, maybe God wanted me to do something except be in the business world. As a matter of fact, I had a mother praying for me to be a preacher, a grandmother praying for me to be a preacher. And I'd always say to them, you know, what I'm really doing is ministering in the business world. I'm just, you know, it was my cop out. That's really what it was. God was working on me. So I went and talked to my wife about it, and I said, "Hun, what do you think? Do you think that uh, maybe I should go back to seminary and prepare for the ministry? Now, she hadn't been to a lot of ladies' retreats yet, and uh, maybe didn't have quite the training and such, and so she did not respond real positive to the uh, concept of me taking a vow of poverty. You know, I think that was the way she saw it. Going back to seminary, we were just getting a house and finally having some things for our family, and it was one of those things that you know I, I couldn't understand, but she didn't respond real well to it. So I went to my pastor, and I shared with him what had happened. He says, listen, uh, if God wants you to preach, he'll get your wife ready. Don't you make that decision without your wife being supportive. And it was the best counsel that I've ever I've given it many, many times since then. I'll tell you, friends, if I would have gone into the pastorate then versus three years later when the Lord worked in my heart and my wife's heart, things would have been a lot different. Because um, I just said, well, I'll never preach because God will never change my wife's heart. You know how we are as men or how we are as women. That spouse will never change. No, not if we try to change them, but if we let God change them, you know, in his perfect time, and his perfect way, it'll be the right kind of change. And so I just started praying and said, I was doing a good job in the business world and starting to get a test. I took a job with Martin Marietta Corporation and later was promoted to sales manager in Chicago, Illinois. You ever heard of Chicago? Went to the big city and bought a home out in Sleepy Hollow, Dundee. I'm a country boy, so I got out as far as I could up in the hills of of Dundee, Illinois, and Sleepy Hollow, did the wrong thing. Folks, can I tell you something? It's the wrong thing to buy a house before you find a church. That's the wrong thing. And praise the Lord for the number of people that I know that come and check us out before they move to Kansas City. Praise the Lord for the number of people that come to me and say, hey, is there a good church in such and such a place before they take a job transfer from our, our location someplace else? That's the way it'll be. But again, I was just a babe in Christ. I didn't know. And we bought a house before we found a church, but by the grace of God, we started visiting around, and we found this little Baptist church in Dundee, Illinois, Fox Valley Baptist Church. Now, folks, you have to understand something about my background. I wasn't going to a Baptist church. I knew better. I'd heard about that. Now, are they Baptists here? Just before, I don't want to offend anybody, but you know, I, some of you are. Okay, well, I'd heard about those folks, narrow-minded, egotistical, thought they're the only one going to heaven type Baptist, hard shell, soft shell, no shell, didn't matter to me. I mean, I just, no way was I going to, but I told the Lord I'd always be in a Bible-preaching church. And uh, the only Bible-preaching church I could find in the area was this little Baptist church, Fox Valley Baptist Church. As a matter of fact, the pastor's in heaven today, but his testimony was, when he came to visit us, that uh, we'd never be back. It's been an encouragement to me when I've gone and visited some people. I thought after their questions, they'll never be back because I, I know I was one of those. 
But because I, I quizzed him up to the one side, down the other. But I, I'll tell you, folks, for us, it was a breath of fresh air to be in this little Baptist church. Because, you know, I had learned the Bible, but I really wasn't living it. Do you know there's a difference? The Bible says we should be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, this is the man that's blessed in his deed. And I was one of these businessmen that was living one foot in the world and one foot in the church. I've got them at Tri-City right now. I know what they're going through. They're miserable. Because they're somehow trying to justify their worldly lifestyle and still be pleasing to the Lord. The friendship with the world is enmity with God. The Bible makes it very plain. And I had to have some straightforward preaching. Now, I have to admit, I sometimes would bristle. I'd say, who do they think they are to tell me? And who talked to the pastor about me? Who's reading my mail, you know? Um, but I praise the Lord for a loving pastor. Many times I would confront about things, and he'd say, well, Carl, here's what the Bible says, and here's how we choose to apply that, and this is what we think would be best in the world in which we live. Think about it. Pray about it. Let the Lord lead you. You know, folks, that's the attitude we ought to have when we're dealing with people that don't understand where we're coming from. By the way, that's the attitude you need to have with your children when they don't understand where you're coming from. You need to to teach them and preach to them the word of God and pray for them and ask the Lord to do a work in heart. I tell our folks, we want to be a straight-A ministry. We want to accept people where they are. That's A number one. We want to allow the Holy Spirit the opportunity to work. That's A number two. And we want to agree to disagree agreeably. That's A number three. Straight A's. Where we allow God to have his way. And that's what this church did for me. And little by little, things started to change in our lives. I started to stop doing some things I used to do and started doing some things I didn't used to do. I started taking the Bible and started to live the Bible. and I started to have a positive testimony in the business world instead of trying to just fit in incognito. And things started to change. Opportunities started to arise, and God was doing a wonderful work. And I started teaching the college career class and uh, working in the Iwana program and then got involved in teaching the adult Sunday school class. And I started having opportunities to witness in the business world and started doing sessions on what the Bible has to say about business. By the way, business uses biblical principles. Now, I hear these people all the time say, boy, church shouldn't use business principles. They're not business principles. They're Bible principles. Business only uses them because they work. The only reason they work is because they're Bible. So maybe we should use them ourselves. Maybe we keep from having some of the problems that we have. We would follow God's word in all areas of life. And uh, things started to change, and boy, we were having a great time serving the Lord, and I just thought, man, this is wonderful. I was able to be a good giver in the church, a faithful servant in the church, and I came home from church one Sunday, and we would usually take two cars, you know how you are, closing up the place, and we had small children, and so my wife had already put the boys to bed, and so I was uh, having a meal with her over lunch, and she said, Carl, you're a good Sunday school teacher. And I said, well, thank you, hon, I appreciate it. She says, no, I mean, you're really a good Sunday school teacher. I figured she had been to a ladies' retreat now, you know, she's getting all this uh, uh, soupy stuff, and, but then she started to cry. And folks, when, when your wife starts to cry, you take note. Don't believe it, man, when they say, you know, you're there crying, you say, what's wrong? And they say, nothing. Don't believe it, okay? There's something going on there. Dig a little deeper. And I found out, you know what? She said, Carl, uh, if you'd still be willing to go back to seminary, I'd go with you. Now, folks, it had been three years and all I had done is said, Lord, if you ever want me to preach, you're going to have to get my wife ready. Now what was I going to do? My wife was ready. Well, that night, we went forward in this little church, Fox Valley Baptist Church, and surrendered to 
for full-time ministry. Our pastor didn't even share it with the church. You know, I was kind of disappointed, but he, he didn't. He figured, where's this coming from? One of my faithful servants, one of my businessmen leaving our, our church. What, I bet he just had an emotional fit or something. So he took me out to breakfast the next morning. I shared with him a similar testimony that I've shared with you tonight. And he said, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Went back to a seminary and got involved in a church in northern Indiana went to Grace Theological Seminary in Winona Lake, Indiana, and got involved in Community Baptist Church in South Bend, Indiana. It's the home church of Patch the Pirate. You all know Patch the Pirate? We're the same age, Ron and I. He looks a lot older, but I I really am the same age, just so that you'll know. And we're good friends. And and he started talking to me about Bob Jones University. Now, have you ever heard of Bob Jones University? You remember how I felt about Baptists? (laughs) Multiply that by ten. That's probably how I, I had met any of you Bob Jones students. I, I just, please, please forgive me. Not, I mean, I learned that not all of them are right. But I met a Bob Jones grad when I was a businessman in Chicago. You know, in the church. He'd come home, and, and he was kind of prancing around, you know, and telling everybody he's from Bob Jones. And he'd say, where did you go to school? And I said, Indiana. And it was almost like I felt like I was unclean. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> unclean, you know. And he's a... And... My wife can tell you stories about his preaching, you know, and some of the things. And, uh, and I, tell you, I just said, I don't know anything about that place, but I don't want to be like that guy. By the way, um, you have him at every college. I found that out. Ron Hamilton's a pretty down-to-earth guy. I find this guy can't be from Bob Jones. This guy is yucky. I mean, you know, this guy goofs off all the time. I mean, this guy's having a ball. I mean, this, and then Frank Garlock, he introduced me to as his father-in-law. And you talk about a guy that's a fun-loving guy. And they kept telling me about Bob Jones University and Southside Baptist Church and... <coughs> And so um, my wife and I packed up our three, three little ones and a, everything we owned in a little U-Haul trailer and went down to Bob Jones University and found out that, man, it's not like everybody thinks it is. It's not like everybody says it is. And um, we had uh, finished our doctor's degree there. Our three sons then went there and graduated. I had the joy of having the opportunity to uh, serve on their staff for three years as a Christian school specialist before we went to Kansas City in ni- 1983. We just finished up 20 years of ministry at uh, Tri-City, and you're going to hear a lot of uh, things that uh, the Lord has done in and through the ministry there in my life and my heart uh, as we talk with you this week, because uh, I've chosen the theme for this week, uh, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. When I look back at it, I told the Lord that I just wanted to take the Bible and live it. Just show me in the Bible and I'll believe it. Well, isn't that finding the mind of Christ? See, you have the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have the written word, the word of God. Isn't it interesting? In John chapter 1, Jesus Christ is referred to as the word. And so I want us to think about this week having the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 and verse 5. I want you to memorize that verse if you've never done it before. Uh, It's pretty simple. It's just let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's amazing how many things when you take it through that filter, it'll change your way of thinking. And by the way, we need our thinking changed. Romans 12.2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your dress. I'll wake you up here. So, no, it doesn't say that. It says, uh, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your entertainment. Your music. And all those things are important. And if you look at them through the mind of Christ, it'll, it'll impact you. On what you wear and where you go to be entertained and what kind of music you listen to. But it doesn't say that. It says, let this, it says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You get your thinking right, and guess what? Everything else comes in line. 
Can I say this to you? That's what we do wrong with our children sometimes. We try to get them to conform on the outside with working on their thinking on the inside. And when they question us, how dare you question me? Yours is not the reason. Why? Yours is but to do or die. You understand? And then we wonder why they reject our faith. Is that the attitude of Christ who is always speaking the truth in love that they might grow up in him in all things which is the head? You see, we need to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Can you say that with me? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. That's what I want you to think about this week. Letting the mind of Christ control you. Getting to where you think like Jesus Christ thinks. Now, I want you to turn to another passage of Scripture, and I'm just going to give an outline here, and we'll be finished. I know you're tired. I get, this is a whole message that I could preach, and my wife can vouch for it, and she's praying that I don't preach it. But I preach a message on being Berean Christians. Acts chapter 17, if you're not sure where the Berean Christians are talking about, but being Berean Christians. And the reason I want you to think on this is because it's what letting the mind of Christ is all about. Because Philippians 2, 5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We have to be willing to change. We have to be willing to let God do his work in our heart. We have to be willing to, to change those things that be displeasing to the Lord and purpose to put off the old man and put on the new man. But in Acts chapter 17, talking about the Berean Christians, it's interesting what is said about them. It says in verse 11, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily where those things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. You see what's so neat about the Berean Christians? Number one, they listened to the word of God. They listened. It says they received the word with all readiness of mind. Uh, that's why I, I think it's so important to be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school, evangelistic meetings, revival meetings, anytime the doors are open. Forsake not to assemble yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting each other even the more as you see the day approaching. And I hope you're seeing the day approaching with all that's going on in Iraq. Jesus is coming soon. And we, we, we ought not be meeting less. We ought to be meeting more. We ought to be listening to the word of God more. We need to listen. I mean, that's not just with our ears, but that's with our hearts. Isn't that what you want from your husbands, wives? Listen! I am listening. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Then what did I just say? Then we're had, aren't we, men? Sometimes we can be looking right at them, shaking our heads, and they still know somehow that we're not listening, and when they really check us out, they're right. Well, some preachers feel the same way. You know, the head may be nodding, but sometimes it's nodding because of the wrong reason. You know, we ought to go, and I hope that you'll come. You've got a booklet that's got a place for you to take notes and for each session. I hope you'll come with your Bible. I hope you'll come with a pen. I, I hope you'll come ready to receive the Word of God, to listen. We've got to listen. But number two, they evaluated it. And they searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. They didn't just walk in and say, whatever you say, preacher, whatever you say, you're God's anointed, you would never make a mistake. Now, I have to tell you, honestly, I would never purposely deceive you. 
But a lot of people have fallen into the cultish mentality of the leader is never wrong. I have to tell you, I'm wrong sometimes. In my Sunday school class, I actually say some things wrong once in a while just to see if anybody will catch me. And, and sometimes I'll stop and say, are you going to let me get away with that? You know, aren't you going to stop me? Now it's a newcomer's class, and so some of them are afraid. They're still intimidated, you know. I guarantee you, if that was some of my war scarred veterans, they'd be all over me. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to teach them, even in the early days of coming into our church, that I'm not perfect. You don't evaluate things by what the pastor says. You evaluate them by what the Bible says. And if I say something contrary to the Bible, you ought to go contrary to me. Well, let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. And let's not come in with our opinions. Let's come in with Scripture. Let's evaluate things. Listen to them. Evaluate them. And then what did they do? They took action. They took action. Therefore, many of them believed. Many of them believed. They took action on that. Now, some didn't believe, we know. They took action as well by their rejection. Listen, friend. You, you, you don't have to reject Jesus Christ to go to hell. You just have to not accept Jesus Christ to go to hell. And... If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, I sure wouldn't let this week go by. It's a wonderful setting, this great opportunity, many people to love you. I would, I'd say, boy, this is the week to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I've had the joy of seeing folks come to know the Lord during family camps. Had somebody two weeks ago in our service that got saved here in a family camp and uh, had the joy of seeing him come to know the Lord. So don't, don't gamble with your eternal soul. But, uh, you know, if you just say, nope, I'm, I'm going I'm to hear this another day. If you go out and you die without Jesus Christ, you're hell bound. You're eternally lost. So don't gamble with your eternal soul. But listen, evaluate, and take action. Let God have his way in your life. I use that same acrostic when somebody comes to you with criticism. You ever been criticized? You ever somebody challenge you in your thinking? Well, our tendency is to defend ourselves right Well, my tendency is to defend myself. I can answer questions before they're even finished. Maybe it's my Bible quizzing background. You know, I don't know, you know, jump up and get on the... No, it's just, you know, I, I have a tendency to finish the question and give the answer and close the discussion. Case closed. And, and you know, I have to work at listening. Because he that, uh, that answereth a matter before he heareth it, to him it is folly and shame. And, and study to answer, the Bible says. And so I have to learn as a pastor to get back there and just smile and listen. And, and I even put a pencil in my hand sometimes. Can I take some notes and... And say, no, calm down, Carl. Don't say anything here now. Be, you know, I just want to make sure that I, I listen, listen the whole thing through. And then evaluate it. And evaluate it three ways. You evaluate it by the Scripture. You evaluate it by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that resides within. And you evaluate it by the saints. Because in a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. When somebody comes to me with something, and I listen to it, and I, I evaluate it, I'll get some counsel. I'll talk to some other people. I'll make sure that we're not going to violate the Scriptures, and I'll then ask the Holy Spirit of God to give me direction. You see, those are the three ways we evaluate, and then I take action. And sometimes there's some changes that need to be made. Sometimes there's some apologies that need to be given. Sometimes there's some letters that need to be written. Sometimes there's some people that I need to go and get some things right. But sometimes there's some forgetting I have to do. Say, I don't agree with them. I don't think that that's true. So my action is to forget it. And press on. And uh, sometimes people don't like that because they say, they're not taking my suggestion. They don't believe. Well, I'm sorry, I don't agree with you. Agree to disagree agreeably. Remember A number three. It's okay. You know, I could be wrong. I don't think I am, but I could be. And so, but, you know, 
as long as I have the responsibility, I'm going to take the action that I believe is, is the, the action that God would want me to take because I want to let this mind be in me, which was also in Christ Jesus. So as you go through this week, here's what I'm asking you to do. Just listen, evaluate, and take appropriate action. Listen, evaluate, and take appropriate action. Come into every session with that attitude. I'm going to listen to the Word of God. I'm going to evaluate. We're going to have God night time. We're going to have some opportunities for you to just get alone and to think about it. But sometimes you don't have to think about it. The Holy Spirit of God will nail you right then at that service. Get it taken care of. Take the appropriate action. Aren't you glad that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin? Aren't you glad that, that uh, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, whosoever confesseth and forsaketh it shall find mercy? Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ is long-suffering, merciful, and, uh, you know, that he, he's not like some of us, that, you know, I don't get mad, I just get even. You know, it's not like that. He's the long-suffering Heavenly Father, and he wants to have fellowship with us. So I pray that as we seek the mind of Christ together in a lot of different areas, in a lot of different situations, that we'll let God have his way in our lives, we'll let God have his way in our families, we'll let God have his way in this week. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the truths learned from the Word of God will challenge your heart to a greater degree of love for God and a desire to make Him known through your life. Join us next time for our next sermon. Thank you and God bless.